Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We are discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Malas with Restore or Retreat. How are you, Simone? I'm doing good. And so we got some sad news. I'm sure everyone heard, but um, Saints owner Tom Benson has passed away. But, you know, I was just thinking about what a legacy that he's left behind. No, amazing. He was an amazing philanthropist here mm-hmm. in the city of New Orleans. And I, and I think other places, too, his, his reach extended far beyond that. He was, uh, you know, friendly to, to coastal wetlands. Mm-hmm. America's wetlands used mm-hmm. to get um, a annual feature at, at their Saints games. So um, what, a, what a great legacy yeah. to have. One Super Bowl. I mean, the Saints, the Pelicans. You know, the whole <clears throat> comeback after Katrina yeah, and, sure. and everything. So our thoughts are with his family as well as all the fans and players and members of Saints Nation. Yeah, so switching gears from a life well lived to a birthday boy. Oh, Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I can't believe... Um, <laughs> uh oh, on it. Did you give him a little a warning about that? No, thank you. Um, you know, I, I remember when we started the show, yeah. it was around the time of my birthday. So nobody we're, we're about we, a year we later. Were, we were not drinking like we were last year for your birthday. So Yeah, so thank you. But hey, we got a chance to go out together, together. <laughs> out in the field. We're they always making fun of each other. You know, oh, you're out in the field, you're out in the field. But uh, we were in a beautiful place. Where were we yesterday? We went to Whiskey Island. Um, uh, my little girl wanted to know why they called it Whiskey. I'm like, oh, girl, I'm sure that there are plenty <laughs> of stories about why it's called Whiskey Island. But how beautiful was that? I had been out before and saw the progress. And you, you had too. Yeah, so. I went out. I think they were ha- about halfway done mm-hmm. when I went up the prior time. And um, now they're almost done. There's like five weeks left. Yep. And it's just such an incredible, um, you know, restoration project outside of Cocodry, you know, south from the Terrebonne, um, you know, 10 million cubic yards worth yeah. of material. We were, we were trying to do some math on how many super domes that was. <laughs> yeah. And the other, I mean, the other amazing thing is we got to see the sediment actually yeah. flowing. So whiskey may have not been flowing on the <laughs> island, but there certainly was a lot of sediment. Um, yeah. What a great field trip. Thank you to CPRA for taking us out there and we'll probably see some media coverage. Yeah. And Brad Miller, who's been on the mm-hmm. show before and he's the project yes. manager for yes. it, um, was out there with us and yeah, looking forward to seeing some of those media pieces yeah. come out. Yeah. They, it'd probably be another year before they let us go out together again. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they were cutting up a little bit too much. <laughs> so we're talking, we went Barrier Islands yesterday. I went to Bonnie Carrier early, earlier this week. And How today was it? We're talking about in years yeah so we, we've covered it end to end we're going all over and you know i actually drove over um the bonnie carry mm-hmm. today and you just really see it flowing yeah and how about that nasa image i know did you see so that cool. yeah so cool for i think from their space labs yeah it's just a satellite image of louisiana and the mississippi river delta and you just see that plume just spilling out it, it's so exciting that every uh, you know it's happening a little more often so we have all these teachable moments right and it's also a little sad that we're missing some opportunities capturing that sediment that's true and hopefully we're not far away i mean the one thing is when we shared that image on facebook so many people yeah, were responding yeah. saying like hey that's we're losing that we need to get that right, you know so people right. understand the concept of like lost sediment and the need to capture it which is really great absolutely so what are we going to talk about today well today we're uh, talking about the chenier we're heading we're <laughs> heading west um you know, I, I love the Chenier's just because um, in it, our rainy property, um, yeah, the Paul right. Rainy Wildlife Sanctuary in Vermilion Parish, kind of I think part of the Chenier and part of the Delta, it's kind of a divide nice. through the um, through the property. So we're going to be talking about that in Cameron Parish, Cameron right? Parish, yes. Our first guest who we're going to have on the phone is Lori Cormier. Lori is um, the assistant planner and coastal zone manager for Calcasieu Parish Police Jury. Welcome to the show, Lori. 
Hey, it's great to be with you guys. I'm so excited to have you on. Lori, you are our first Southwest guest. Um, I'm so I'm so blessed to be there. I'm <laughs> telling you, we we were thinking about this and we had to have you, especially because I got to spend some time with you last week, and um, you so politely told uh, the new Restore Council chair that you know there's another Delta. That's right. <laughs> I mean, That's there's right. nothing there's something else besides the Delta, right? <laughs> nothing, nothing. But we love New Orleans, but there is a, a Chenier plane over on the western part of the state, and so. You know, I'm a fourth-generation Southwest Louisiana resident. I'm passionate about the coast of Louisiana, and I really want to see amazing things um, happen for the coast of Louisiana in the future. Well said. Well said. So, fourth generation, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, you know, I I grew up in Lake Charles and uh, went to, you know, a local school. Then I went off to LSU and and, um, ended up graduating from McNeese. Cowboys, huh? Aren't they the Cowboys? Yeah. Yeah. A cowboy. (laughs) And uh, I have a BA degree, and I've been employed with the Calcasieu Parish Police Jury for the last nine years. And you're also on the CPRA. I am. It is a great, great opportunity for me to serve, and I represent west of the Atchafalaya, and I serve at the pleasure of the governors. I was appointed by um, Bobby Jindal, and I I continue serving under uh, Governor John Bell Edwards, and um, I serve on the framework development team along with you. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and the Levy Consortium Committee, and the goal of CPRA is to develop to de- develop and implement projects for the protection of all of coastal Louisiana. And that is done by the Master Plan 2017 for Coastal Louisiana that was unanimously passed, passed last year. And it's our, basically our playbook for uh, future projects and, and for our $50 billion budget for the next 50 years. And it gets revised every five years. And for your, for your listening public, it can be viewed, the Master Plan 2017 can be viewed at www.coastal.la.gov. That's great, Lori. And, and as I was mentioning, um, you know, Southwest has a special place in my heart because of the rainy sanctuary. Mm-hmm. But and, and you can tell the difference when you're out there and you kind of see the landscape. And so for those who may not be familiar, you know, what is a chenier or what's the chenier plane when we talk about that? A chenier plane is just a French word meaning an oak ridge, and these chenires were formed thousands of years ago. And instead of, you know, the eastern part of the state has your delta, much loved delta, and on the western part of the state we have these oak ridges. And they're basically our first line of defense for a hurricane storm surge for Cameron Parish and Calcasieu Parish. If you drive down Highway 82, you can see the force from uh, previous hurricanes bending large 100-year-old oak trees over on their sides almost. But they're still growing and they're still there. They just have have received the brunt of the force. And that's what a Chenier Ridge is. There's only three sets in the world. So we're very um, happy to have one over here. Basically, it was formed from the sediment of the back up delta you know yeah so the so, sediment swung over right to the right. to the southwest or i guess right, northwest right. in that case <laughs> yeah so Lori, this uh, we taped actually a show uh, at the bonnie carey with pbs they did an, a nice feature on shin years and and yeah. they talked about how special it is to the whole world it's something you know kind of extends into texas a little bit but it's very interesting that you bring up the point about the hurricanes too that y'all have had your fair share of devastating hurricanes um certainly throughout history but even recently 
Yeah, we, we seem to have gotten back-to-back ones, and that's really important. I know the point I made on the Framework Development Committee was that we had Hurricane Rita, and then a couple of months later, maybe a, a year later, we had Hurricane Ike. And what we learned is that those Chenier ridges and those marshes in Cameron are so important for our protection because Hurricane Rita devastated those marshes. And so that when Hurricane Ike came along, I had friends that had just repaired their houses. They'd been in them for like three weeks, and then all of a sudden Ike comes and the water's higher because the marshes were damaged by Hurricane Rita. So it was devastating around here. But I'm telling you, it's a special place down here in southwest Louisiana. If some of your listening viewers have not been, I invite them over. We will treat you well, and it's a beautiful place. Projects that work on the eastern part of the state don't always work on the western part of the state and vice versa. So it's just a little bit different sediment and um, and different qualities. But there's very special uh, people down in Cameron and Calcasieu as well. Well, you're certainly one of them, Lori. We have to go to a break. Do you mind hanging on with us? When Not when you fun. come back, we want to talk to you more about you. your areas experiencing some tremendous growth. And so we want to talk a little bit about how you balance that with the environment. Uh, so we'll be right back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Welcome back. You are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore Retreat. Welcome back to the show, Lori. 
Well, thank you. Um, we uh, This is a rite of passage here at Delta Dispatches. We ask our guests a fun question. So are you ready for your fun question? Sometimes people ready. sometimes people even want to suggest <laughs> what their fun question yeah. is, which is kind of less fun. People get really nervous, but <laughs> no pressure. I promise you. Um, so I know that you play tennis. So, Lori, who is your favorite tennis player? Oh, easy, easy. Roger Federer. Nice. There you go. Well, she he picks a good one, today. too. He won today. <laughs> nice. He got an update. So, no. yes. I like that. I like that. Good answer. Good answer. So, Lori, before the break, we were talking a little bit about your part of the world in southwest Louisiana. Um, Y'all have had some tremendous growth and and even more tremendous potential growth, right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about that growth and how you're balancing that with environmental needs? Sure, Simone. Basically, right now, currently in southwest Louisiana, we're experiencing the nation's largest economic development growth. Uh, And some people say that southwest Louisiana is leading the world in this economic uh, development. Projects under construction currently, right now, today, total $43 billion with a B. Whoa. And projects pending for final approval total $65 billion with a B. Uh, and so the total economic expansion is estimated at 108 billion with a B dollars. Unbelievably, um, it, it's the it, no, the economists are so happy for Southwest Louisiana right now, and we're happy to have the the jobs and the work. And but along with that, it comes you know with a little price tag, and there's some traffic situations going on <laughs> yeah. around here, like y'all been uh, having for years. And uh, also, we're concerned about the environment and what that's going to do. So um, I have been talking to my fellow board members at CPRA about this large economic expansion and talking to them about how it's going to create more people here that we need to protect. And so they responded with um, some of their money with the restore dollars for the Calcasieu Ship Channel salinity control project. So, Lori, tell us a little bit about that project. I mean, for our coalition, Restore the Mississippi River Delta, we've identified that project as one of our, you know, what we call the priority projects for our groups um, of all the master plan. And, you know, um, you know, we've said how important it is, but I want to hear directly from you about what that project seeks to do and why it is so important. Well, as I described earlier about Hurricane Rita and Hurricane Ike and and my friend's house who, you know, for Hurricane Rita had four feet of water, but with Hurricane Ike had seven feet of water, that was, you know, due to the fact that the marshes hadn't recovered in time. And that's what this project will be. It will limit the salinity uh, for um, those marshes. Basically, the Calcasieu Ship Channel connects the Gulf of Mexico to Calcasieu Lake. And this uh, salinity control project will aim at isolating the ship channel through a network of dikes and seal structures with fish gaps that will allow the fish to go in and out. And, w- and it will be designed to limit the saltwater intrusion through that channel into the adjacent marshes. It will also help to support storm surge protection by increasing the uh, or decreasing the salinity of the adjacent marshes, marshes as well. And, and so, you mentioned that project's currently in engineering and design? It is. It's in engineering design. We're, we're so excited about this project. It is the largest project to ever come to Southwest Louisiana. That's a first, so we're excited about that. And it's been put on the Corps of Engineers federal dashboard, which hopefully will expedite the permitting process. So it's 
at 15% designed right now. We expect 30% designed by um, December of 2018 and hopefully construction in the year 2021. That's great. And I've, I mean, I've seen a lot of really great coverage of that project. Um, I believe Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities yeah, right. did a big story on it. Um, and it, it is good to see progress being made on such large scale projects that are so de- desperately needed. Lori, too, you also had some good news. Some of your neighboring parishes was awarded a state match with Restore Funds. Right. And so, you know, water is opportunistic and basically (laughs) it's going to go wherever it wants to go. So we're so excited to have these projects in Vermilion and Cameron Parish. In Cameron Parish, the construction of the Rockefeller Shoreline Stabilization Project um, was awarded. And we're happy about that because we look at um, protection as a multiple line of defense. And so if you look at, if you're looking at a map, Calcasieu Parish sits right on top of Cameron Parish. So when you protect Cameron Parish, you pretty much protect mm-hmm. Calcasieu Parish. So that first line of defense is that shoreline. So we are so happy and we are so encouraged by that um, that seed match um, so that we can do that first line of defense. And then, of course, there's like Highway 82 behind it, and then those great chenier ridges with big oak trees on it, and then there are the marshes, and then there's Lake Charles. So Lake Charles is currently located about 41 miles uh, from the Cameron shoreline. And, what I, you know, one thing I'd like to say is that viewers in New Orleans may not know this, and viewers in listening or listening from Lake Charles may not know that we consider ourselves a coastal city. Not every resident in Lake Charles knows that, but we're educating them. Yeah, we've worked, we've worked a lot with uh, Mayor Roach when he was in office, and um, and you talked about the master plan. We hosted a master plan meeting in, in Lake Charles, and I know CRCL, our partner of ours, does a lot of work out there, too. We try to make sure that people remember that, but uh, sometimes, you know, we have that trouble all across the coast making that connection. Um, to, to hear how close Lake Charles is is to the shoreline is, is good to hear from you, too. Yes. So, Lori, what kind of projects do you have coming up from the parish? Well, the parish currently has just passed its coastal master plan for Calcasieu Parish. Um, and so we, we in, in that actual plan, we put in the Cameron Parish um, master plan as well because we do realize that when you protect Cameron, you protect Calcasieu. Right. We have done a CEP project here of our, um, called South GIWW as well that just completed, I think, last year. So we were happy about that. But we spent a lot of time and energy putting our money and our dollars um, towards some projects jointly in Cameron so that we can protect both places. And, and we recognize, uh, like I said, through those hurricanes, how important Cameron shoreline and their marshes are to Calcasieu Parish and Vermilion Parish because, you know, we got to protect Vermilion as well, and we're working really hard doing that. I think they just finished a, a Tebow Point construction, or they're just getting ready to start in addition to that. So we're we're very happy to to partner with them. We work very well with Cameron Calcasieu and Vermilion Parish. We we team up a lot, and we try to go after big projects for each of our areas. It's great to see you know that model that can be applied elsewhere across the state because. 
you know, I mean, through our Rainy Conservation Alliance, which is in um, Vermilion, we have a lot of landowners that work together in conservation. We recognize, you know, if, I, if my, my neighbor's land is, is restored and resilient and strong, then my land's better protected. So we kind of all have this mutual interest uh, in, in looking out for each other. Yeah, they're like a gang over there in southwest <laughs> Louisiana. You see one of them coming, you see them all coming. Well, we have a mutual um, cooperative <laughs> endeavor that, you know, when one of us is hurting, we're all hurting, and we're going to take care of each other, as well as the eastern part of the state. I remember some uh, time, a couple of years ago, y'all were having a situation, and somebody from the eastern part of the state called me and said, do you have this particular dredge in southwest Louisiana? And so I started calling around. So we work together, all of us coastal zone managers all throughout the state, to try to do whatever is best. But I am so passionate about this coast because you know what one of the things we didn't talk about we are a working coast Mm -hmm. our people live on the coast they work on the coast we're not a second home kind of um big nice um a camp uh, out in the you know eastern part of the United States. We are a working coast, and that's so important to our people. And that's one of the things I, I, I said at my framework development meeting early on in 2012 was we're missing a valuable resource. That's our people and our culture. And our culture, we've got to protect that. So I was a strong proponent from the, for that from the beginning. Lori, we are so grateful to have you on as our first and best Southwest guest. Uh, we are so grateful to have you on the show. We appreciate your time. Hopefully, we can come back on soon and talk about some more projects that you have coming up. Well, that'll be great. Y'all have a great evening and, and rock it, rock it, rock it. All right. Good. <laughs> Thank you so much. Good luck at the okay. tennis. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. 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 Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why Restoring It Matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I am Simone Loss with Restore Retreat. And today we are talking about chenilles, which is which are an important landscape feature both in the present day as well as um, historically. Absolutely. We had a funny conversation yesterday out on Whiskey Island about how to spell chenille, That's whether right. there's an E or not an E. Well, tomato, tomato. Yeah, I think we need to get a <laughs> clarification well, we on can that. Add, we can ask Dr. Ducey what he yeah. says about it. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. John Ducey. We're going to talk about some historical chenilles that were really important um, to our coast and kind of the impact that certain environmental uh, challenges had on them. Um, but first, let me introduce him. Dr. John Ducey is a dean of the College of Science Sciences at Nichols State University. He's also a distinguished service professor of biological sciences, Mickelhenny professor of human and environmental genetics, and director of the University Honors Program, a graduate of South Lafouche High School, Tarpons, Nichols State University, and LSU Medical Center in New Orleans, as well as being the first certified public health gene- geneticist in Louisiana. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Ducey. Go Tarpons, go Tigers, <laughs> go Colonels. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, Jacques and Simone. Always a pleasure. Hey, Dr. Ducey, it is Hi. great to hear from you. Um, you have this totally diverse and amazing background, and, and Jacques and I were talking about it a little bit uh, before the show, about you have this amazing science background, but you have this amazing arts background, Humanities. Too. I love yeah. that when those things come mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. So there's lots to cover right now. <laughs> Keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself other than the and other than what we just read? What what would you want people to know about you? Well, gee whiz, I was born in Golden Meadow in that beautiful little fishing town. And um I moved up to uh Thibodeau to go to college, graduated from South Bush High School before then, went to the medical center in New Orleans, L S U 
to get uh, the doctorate, and there I studied biochemistry. And then I spent five and a half years uh, studying Acadian genetics um, under the tutelage of two remarkable professors, Dr. Prescott Dininger and Dr. Bronya Keats. And then one day, um, former president of Nichols, Dr. Ayo, mm-hmm. offered me a job here, and I said, I've been waiting for 11 years to come back. <laughs> John, and I took the position. When you were little, John, did you dream about Acadian <laughs> genetics? <laughs> When I was little, John, I don't know if I was ever little, John, but thank you. Uh, did I dream of Acadian genetics? No. Uh, I dreamt about being a scientist, however. My sister was an artist, and, and you know she went through a lot of criticism because of what are you going to My dad would always say, what are you going to do in art? What, how's, what's that gonna, career going to be? And of course, she had a wonderfully successful career, but I chose science instead. So I was thinking about science, and I liked chemistry, and biochemistry was the closest and then when I learned about DNA, I became that kind of chemist. I became a <laughs> DNA scientist after that. That's, that is so cool. So tell us a little bit about your work so far, or, or even if you want to talk about something currently that you're working on at Nichols, and then we're getting into some of that Shinier stuff. I'll be happy to. Uh, so I, be, I spent um, the past 20 years studying um, what I call Acadian genetics or cultural genetics in Louisiana. Uh, when, when populations that have um, a common cultural background uh, live together and are, are uh, and develop communities, they tend to to intermarry and have children, and their DNA tends to be um, similar, more similar than uh, comparing them to the general population. And if there's a mutation in that community, then we see a higher percentage, slightly higher percentage of rare diseases in those groups and rare diseases we're talking about cystic fibrosis and Tay-Sachs disease and something I worked on called Usher syndrome. That's what I was telling Jock about. Yes. Tell us yeah. more about that. Sure. Usher syndrome is um, very rare. It's, it occurs in one in every, every 44,000 individuals. It causes deafness at birth and blindness uh, in early adulthood. So it's a multi-sensory disease. When we think of the eye and the ear, we don't think of anything in common. They look different. They work different. You put drops in them, but the drops are different, right? Um, But we found a gene in common between those that, when mutated, causes this disease. And the mutation was not found in any other type of ancestry, so we called it Acadian Usher syndrome. Now, before your, your audience goes off and saying that Acadians have genetic diseases. Let me remind everybody this is incredibly rare. It's inc- incredibly rare around the world. It's slightly elevated in the Acadian population, and we're only seeing 200 to 300 individuals uh, because they have lived together for so long a period of time. So I spent a, a five and a half years working on Usher syndrome, and I work on other types of diseases as well. That's so fascinating. And I mean, uh, I myself have done it. I know others have, but you know, with technology like 23andMe and Ancestry.com, kind of being able to trace the genetics to your history and families and seeing all these extended cousins all over Louisiana <laughs> and, and Maine and well, yeah, Canada. Either. Goodness gracious, <laughs> you got some. Huh? How has that, how have those uh, services or products changed your field or, or your studies? Well, I'm glad you asked about that because everybody's talking about DNA nowadays. In fact, um, sometimes it, it hits a nerve and, and raises hair on the back of my neck when people say DNA and use it in the wrong way because it's like it's so precious to me. That's my <laughs> You can't talk about this. I remember uh, when I was um, doing the postdoctoral fellowship and studying Acadiana genetics, um, 
my mom would call up every now and then from Golden Meadow and say, hey, I heard about DNA in the news. And I'm thinking, I touch DNA. I hear about it every day, Mom. I'm going to listen to you, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got a 23andMe story I, I'm going to love to tell you. So clearly with my last name, my dad's uh, ancestors were French Acadian. My mom was a Repstock, which I think mm-hmm. is going to play, play into the story later in the discussion today. My mom was a Repstock, and they are German. Mm. So um, I send, send my saliva sample to 23andMe. I get the results back, and there's two blobs on my map, France and Germany. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I paid $99. <laughs> yeah, could've, you could have told them that. Yeah. <laughs> well, so let's get a little bit to the topic at hand. Um, and with Wendell Kirall and others, um, you wrote a commemorative book, about Chenier Caminata. Um, tell us a little bit about the history of that, that special place in Louisiana's, his- in Louisiana's history. Well, this was a remarkable place. This was a coastal fishing village, and you had a few of those in Louisiana at the end of the 19th century, but this one was special. Number one, it was the most heavily populated. There was probably 1,500 people living there uh, on that little peninsula right before Grand Isle. 1,500 people it was a rapidly growing population. 56% of those 1,500 were children under the age of 15. Oh, wow. So they had enormous families, rapidly growing. They provided the majority of fresh seafood to the New Orleans market, so they were economically important. And uh, they were thriving. Uh, they were largely uneducated, Catholic, French-speaking. And they weren't necessarily Acadian. They uh, came from all around the world, and it's the Francophone culture that, that uh, they developed uh, cohesively and collectively. They weren't necessarily Acadian, but uh, they were French-speaking and um, French-cultured. And then on the evening of October 1st, 1893, a storm hit. And once again, just like the village was unique, the storm is unique. I'll tell you a little bit about the storm. The storm uh, was the uh, 10th storm of the season, the Atlantic hurricane season in 1893, and there were 11 uh, storms, and it was the most severe. It had a barometric pressure of 948 millibars and um, had a wind speed of about 120, so that made it a Category 4. What made it so devastating is that it hit during the evening, was that it was a slow-developing storm, but it accelerated because it was riding the low-pressure ridge right before a cold front. This is October 1st, right? And the the legend goes that people knew a storm was coming during the night. They didn't know how severe it would be, but because they had a cold front, people believed that uh, no storm is going to hit us because we know about cold fronts. They're they're high-pressure, they're heavy air, so nothing is going to push that back. But what they didn't realize is that when a cold front pushes, they make, it makes a low-pressure ridge right to the fore of it. And if there's low pressure, that means low resistance, and that storm got sucked right across Chenier Caminata in the middle of the night. And further, because Chenier Caminata was separated by water in three directions, um, and I, I spoke to Nash Roberts about this before he passed away, he predicts that the community was inundated with water, first from the initial tidal surge, and then twice again as the wind changed and as the water that was built up behind the peninsula in two different directions washed back over the island. So 1,500 people were in peril that evening by basically three three separate floods. And um, on the morning after, they realized that uh, half the population had perished. Mm. So we're talking almost 800 people 
including half the women and nearly all the children. Ugh. There are some surnames that have taken, been taken out of history forever. But the good side of the, of the situation is that those that survived formed a large part of the settlement pattern of southeastern Louisiana. So those folks moved further and further up the bayou. They established Leeville. They established Golden Meadow. They established Cote Blanche on Bayou Lafouche. And across Barataria Bay, they uh, populated Salaville, which is the um, early name of West Wego. So the survivors um, basically established some settlement patterns across southeastern Louisiana. That is fascinating. I wish you could see Jacques and I right now. We're like leaning into the microphone, like like listening so intently to the story. We got goosebumps too. <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Dr. Ducey, will you stay with us through a break? We want to finish talking to you about this fascinating subject and, and a little bit more about you know, what people do now and, and those kinds of things. Do you mind staying with us? I'll be happy to. Great. You're listening to WGSO 990, where we're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, jobs, and why restoring it's mattered. Why restoring it matters. But we'll be back right back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. We're discussing Chenier's, and in particular, um, the history of Chenier Caminata with um, Dr. John Ducey of Nichols State University. So, um, Dr. Ducey, welcome back. You were talking about some of the survivors, but you found out in your research that your ancestors were actually there and survived the storm. Is that correct? That's right. I was doing research for um, a play that I was writing, uh, the uh, Wendell Curol and a couple of folks down the bayou uh, said we should have a festival or a memorial event to commemorate the survivors and the settlements and to honor our ancestors who's, who passed. And their crazy idea was to to have a play on stage about a hurricane. Now, if you ever d- done any kind of production or performed <laughs> in a play, you got to think a hurricane on on stage. Big How are you going to do it? Who's going to come see this? Right. But it turned out to be remarkable. Anyway, to do research for the play, I would go back through uh, archives and old uh, stories and legends, and I realized that uh, in the Times Democrat of October 14th, 1893, there was continuous coverage of the devastation on the coast. And there was a picture of um, a drawing of a photograph that showed the roof of a house that had landed on the high part of the chenier after the tidal wave. The cubicle part of the house had collapsed and only the roof was, was sitting there. And the caption was uh, the home or the roof of the home of John Frederick Repstock under which 62 people were saved. Oh, wow. On the and roof. my mom, as I told you earlier in the show, is a Repstock and there's only one family of Repstocks in uh, southeastern Louisiana. So I found out that my great-great-grandfather was not only there, but also survived and was also probably uh, functional in saving 62 lives. That must have been an incredible realization. I mean, what was that moment like for you when you... Well, that all came together. I, I remember distinctly because um, I had been mistakenly volunteered to write the play. <laughs> no, there <laughs> was no mistake in that. With locked doors, and I couldn't escape, and I couldn't say no to to the people. But I had no experience in playwriting. But the second I knew that my family was there, I was invested, and I couldn't stop. I heard their voices in my head—that French English type of arguing. 
uh, because I hear my grandparents do it on their front porch. I can remember as a kid how they would speak. So um, the second I realized that they were there, I was invested. Uh, my whole uh, soul and my whole intellect was invested in writing that play. And um, that, w- that was a big turning point, not only in the play, the research, but also in, in my life. When I've, I've heard Wendell talk about the celebration or, I guess, um, memorial that y'all had for, for Shinier Kamenata. And I remember, you know, thinking about how proud y'all must have been as, as a community to be able to put something like that. And when we talk about culture here a lot, I mean, that was something that the community wanted to do to, to talk about the event because there's still so many lessons that you can learn. Um, you know, they, they didn't have so much advanced warning, but... I'm sure it took the whole community to to help those survivors, and then sounds like y'all brought them up the bayou and and made them part of of other communities in Lafouche. And so, what what lesson? What's the biggest lesson you think we can learn today from the Shinier Kaminata story? Well, I think I think number one, um, certainly, let's not forget our history and culture. Um, history and culture is based on community. Community is based on land, and the land, as we know, is is disappearing. So subsequently, everything else is at risk of disappearing. This hurricane, which occurred 125 years ago this year, by the way, uh, was not mentioned in textbooks. It wasn't mentioned in uh, historical hurricane reports until after Wendell Kural and those folks in Cutoff and the lower reaches of Lafouche Parish had that festival. There was no recognition of this hurricane. And it might have been because the, the although the community was economically important for fish and seafood they weren't economically important as a community and um that that's regrettable but it it shows the tenacity of the people that after a hundred years the stories and the legends and the memory was still there collectively and for us to be able to put that on i think that was uh that was a landmark event and, and all the credit goes to those organizers. And to document it, too, I, I remember Wendell maybe taped some... Did he have some survivor stories, if I remember correctly? He had taped a lot of, um, you know, uh, you know, Wendell went through the research, too. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, that's right. Yeah, I think Wendell even wrote a song. I mean, Wendell's a man of many talents. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, uh, he, he did some... Well, a number of people did oral histories and interviews. Right. And in the archives here at Nichols, we certainly have one recording from a gentleman named Des Cheremy, uh, who's a relative, as, a, as it turns out, of mine and Wendell's. Uh, and Wendell and I are relatives. How about that? <laughs> and uh, and uh, he talks about uh, remembering the hurricane as a child, and he's speaking in French, and he's probably close to 100 years old or 80 or 90 or 100 years old when he's giving the interview, and he, he cries. And I remember that. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember the most. He starts to cry. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's featured in the um, Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities yeah. a documentary documentary that Wendell's in, and they they include some footage of that. And it's just so powerful to see. I mean, this man who uh, that happened to him as a child, a baby, and still the memories there are so vivid, and and you know just shows how all of our collective memories are shaped by these events. Um, Would you definitely. ever think about reviving that play? Well, as a matter of fact, it's under consideration right now uh, because once again. This, this year is the 125th anniversary of the hurricane. It's been performed multiple times since then. Um, the last time was probably 10 or 12 years ago, but this year might be the year where it comes back. 
Well, you'll have to keep us posted. I'd love. I mean, I personally would love to see it, and we'd love to get the word out to as many people as possible. Well, that would be appreciated. Thank you very much. Do you yourself have any plays coming up? No, um, uh, Simone. I'm glad you asked. But, uh, <laughs> I wrote 13 plays in 10 years, and then um, I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> you and, hit your quota uh, for a lifetime, or what have you? Can't stop. <laughs> um, well, it's like Robert Penn Warren once said. Uh, after all the King's Men, you wrote a couple of novels, but you stopped. He goes, I just didn't have another one in me. <laughs> and, and we were bugging him because he came to Nichols one, one year. He goes, I just don't have another one in me. So I kind of feel that way. I just don't have another play in me right now. Well, Dr. Doucet, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on today. And, and certainly, I mean, we just scratched the surface of all of your expertise and knowledge. And so we'd love to have you back, love to talk a little bit more about the play, your research, what's going on at Nichols. But thank you so much. I mean, such a fascinating story. And it's so important that people like you are dedicated to preserving our history, despite whatever environmental challenges we're facing. Um, it's, it's so crucial. You are, you are an important asset to Nichols, and I hope to see you on campus soon. Um, Dr. Jusay's meeting with Joni tomorrow, so oh, jo- <laughs> we have some Joni Tuck, who is our favorite Bouchon guest friend. of the show and <laughs> friend. Is. Yeah. She is. So tell, tell Joni we said hello for sure, and I will I see sure you around will. campus. All right. You two are very kind. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Thank Ducey. you. Have a great night. What else you got coming up? Well, I don't know. We have a there's a CPRA board meeting next yeah, we week. Yeah, should Is ask that correct? Lori about that. I know. Yeah. I was going to ask her what was on the agenda, but I know they're pushing the annual plan. Mm-hmm. It's going through the legislature, and um, yeah, um, we have Coastal Day coming up, which will be uh, Tuesday, uh, April third, uh, and then the following week, which I think it um, maybe the eleventh or so, they're going to hear it um, first time in committee too. Oh, great! So, so yeah, yeah, we'll definitely have to report back on that next week. We're gonna we're gonna go back into the history. We're gonna have yeah, the um, um, historian of Tabasco, um, the, uh, who is um, the McElhenney family is a long partner of Ottoman, Louisiana. And um, E.A. McElhenney is the father of conservation of Louisiana. And so we're going to talk about that special place, Avery Island. There was a great Times Picayune story by Tristan Bark featuring it. Who and told he, me I had an accent yesterday? <laughs> he told you, you had, yeah, more. Do you think? Uh, no. I don't think you have. You have a little bit of an accent, but. You're being nice. Yeah. BJ shaking his head. <laughs> well, anyway, what a great show. We were so glad to feature Chenier's, our Oak Ridges. Um, Thank you to Lori and Dr. Ducey again. Yes. We have both guests we'd like to have back on. As a reminder, you can listen to Delta Dispatches anytime. Delta Dispatches.org. You've been listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Have a great Happy week. Happy birthday.